As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with the persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just as you taught the, uh, the rich young man and the disciples back then, Lord Jesus, we pray that you might uh, teach each one of us tonight by the power of your spirit as we look at your word. So Jesus, please come and work amongst us and minister to our hearts, minister to our lives. Help us, we pray. We depend on you. Amen. Now, I'm going to start, if I may, by asking you a question. And I, I, wanna, um, I want you to give your sort of immediate reflex response, okay? So no sort of just dissecting the question. We'll think about it from different angles and all that. No, just straight, immediate response to this question. I'm going to give you a, um, a, 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 a score from 1 to 10. Uh, and I want you to choose how you're going to answer this question between 1 to 10. Uh, but we're going to knock out 5 and 6, okay? You're not allowed to choose 5 and 6. That's boring. It's straight in the middle. You've got to go one way or other, okay? At least slightly high or slightly low uh, in this. Uh, and I want your immediate answer between 1 and 10 uh, to this question. Here's the question. Are you ready? How good are you? Okay? How good are you? How would you rate yourself? in your goodness self-appraisal, okay? If you had to self-appraise yourself on your goodness from one to 10, how good are you? Now, I asked some members of my family this over the last couple of days to get their immediate reflex response, and I've got to say, there were a wide range of responses in my family. I mean, literally, we had literally the whole range there uh, from various members of my family. I won't tell you who said what. Um, But as we approach this subject this evening, we're thinking about how to be good I am guessing that we'll come at it with all sorts of sort of different views. 
Some of us, those probably, you know, who scored themselves in the lower range, if you scored yourself one, two, three, or four, you're coming to this question and we are longing to be able to be good, however you define goodness. You're longing to be able to be good, but actually you know that time and time and time again you feel you fail. Others of us, perhaps those of us who scored ourselves seven, eight, nine, ten, perhaps if we're honest with a hint of self-righteousness, uh, we are approaching this question thinking that we're quite good. We, you know, we're quite good compared to other people. And that is the situation with this man in our passage that we are looking at today. You know, he, he'd have thought himself pretty good. He'd have scored himself maybe a nine. Maybe he would have even given himself a 10. And, and so the first thing we discover, as we think about how to be good, the first thing is this, that we need to recognize you can never be good enough. Jesus says that, doesn't he? You know, this guy comes up to him, he comes up to Jesus, he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he is really good, he's really nice, he's really polite, he is, he is every mother's ideal son-in-law, and he asks Jesus this question. He says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And just look at how Jesus responds in the next verse. Jesus focuses on that word, good. Jesus focuses on good. Jesus says, well, if that's what you want, let's talk about being good. He says, only God is good. Humans can never be good enough. And by the way, Jesus infers, do you think that I, Jesus, I might be good and therefore might be God? And just look at how the conversation then unfolds between the two of them. This guy, we've got to admit it, this guy is pretty good. Jesus lists six of the Ten Commandments, and this guy, he says he has kept them all since he was a boy. He is super impressive, but that is not good enough for Jesus. So Jesus tells the man, he says, go and sell everything you have, verse 21, and so the man goes away sad. Now, perhaps you're asking, you know, what has money got to do with it? Surely, being good enough to inherit eternal life cannot be as crass as just sort of having to give away loads of money. And you're right, it is not be more and more good and then you'll be okay. Just look again up there, look at verse 19. It's really interesting that Jesus, he didn't mention all of the Ten Commandments. He just mentioned the last six, not the first four, that are all about loving God most of all. Because this man could not have kept the first four commandments. Because this man, he did not love God most of all. This man, he obviously loved money more than he loved God. And that's why he went away sad. Now don't get me wrong, it is fine to make money. But it is not fine to make money our God. That is the problem. To say having money is what life is all about. That is the rich young man's mistake. And really the point is that whatever it is for you and I, that we think life is all about, whatever we think that one thing is that life is all about, for some of us it may be like the man, it may be money, but for lots of us it may be something else. Maybe something else that we think life is all about. It may be comfort or popularity or status or having a perfect relationship or having good health. Whatever that one thing is that we think life is all about. Well, that is what Jesus would have put his finger on for us if we had taken the place 
of that rich young man that day. Okay, you've tried to be good, Jesus would say to us, but what about that? What about that one thing that we think life is all about? So this story, it's not about attacking the rich. It's rather about the fact that being good, even being very good, is never good enough. In Jesus' day, people would have thought the rich were the, were, the, were the most likely people to go to heaven. They would have thought they were rich because God was pleased with them and God had blessed them. And so they would have thought that if someone like this man, who's really polite, really nice, really kind, and really rich, if he can't inherit eternal life, well then who can? And you'll see that is exactly the question that Jesus' disciples go on to ask Jesus. Just look, would you, at verse 26. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved if this rich young man can't? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, Jesus is saying it is impossible for anyone to be good enough for God Just like it is impossible for a huge camel to go through a tiny eye of a needle. So if you or I, if we are wanting to know how to be good, the first step in how to be good, paradoxically, is to recognize you can never be good enough. That's the first step. Here's the second step. Second step is to receive the kingdom of God. All of life, we are programmed, as it were, to try and be good. All of us, how life is set up, we're to try and be good, try to do good, try to achieve. One of my earliest memories in my entire life is back when I was five, and I started school, and I was in reception at school, and the the little school that I was a part of, the the reception class, we were called the Tiddlywinks class, which I always liked that name. We were the Tiddlywinks, okay? And I've got to say, I rocked it in the Tiddlywinks. I was brilliant. I've got to say it. I was was the brightest in the Tiddlywinks. I I finished my work first. I got the highest marks. Uh, When we were on the sports pitches outside, you know, I was great at sport. Um, uh, Miss, Miss Caroline, who was my teacher, I was teacher's pet, basically. She loved me. I rocked it. I was good in the Tiddlywinks. Admittedly, there were only about eight people in the class, but, you know, that's by the by. But at the end of term, I I can remember, I can picture it vividly, I can remember the feelings vividly. At the end of term, we had the end of term assembly. And we were all in the assembly room at the school. And all of the tiddlywinks, we we were lined up against this wall. The headmaster was over there, and we were lined up against this wall, and we were sitting on a bench. And we were all sitting on a bench like this. And because I was teacher's pet, I was sitting next to Miss Caroline. And it got to the moment in in the prize giving service when the headmaster said to Miss Caroline, "Uh, who are you awarding the tiddlywinks cup to? And there was this big silver cup for the best tiddlywink. And I can remember, I can remember it vividly. There was Miss Caroline sitting next to me. And uh, as she decided who was going to be awarded the tiddlywink cup, she, she reached out her hand. And she reached out her hand to, as it were, anoint my head. Uh, to say, Jago, he wins the tiddlywink cup. And I can remember the feeling as her hand reached out to anoint my head. And then her hand seemed to go over my head 
And she anointed Adam Whitefield's head. I mean, can you believe it? And Adam Whitefield won the Tiddlywink Cup. And I can remember to this day, I can picture the scene, I can remember how it felt, the injustice, the fury that I was not good enough. And you know, it is one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Because from a very early age, it taught me that I can never do enough. I can never achieve enough. I can never achieve enough to be good enough in my own strength, not for the tiddlywink cup, certainly not for God. Do you notice what the man's question was to Jesus? The man said, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? For him, it's all about achieving. What must I do to get it? Now, now contrast that with what comes just before in Mark chapter 10. If you've got your Bible open, just go up to verse 13. It's going to come up on the screen though as well. Look at what happens just before. Verse 13 says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. In verse 17, the man is asking, what must I do? In verse 15, Jesus is saying, you must receive. That is how we become part of God's kingdom. Not by doing, 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 but by receiving. The key is to receive, not to achieve. And little children, not sort of five-year-old hyper-achieving tiddlywink ones like me, but babies, little children, like the ones that were being brought to Jesus, little children are the best example of receiving. Because there they are. We were baptizing three little children who were you know, under one year old this morning. And there these little children were as I held them, as I was baptizing them. All these little children are about is just receive, receive, receive. They are consummate experts at receiving, aren't they? You know, little babies, they receive food. They receive milk. They receive presents. They just go, yes, please, thank you. I'll take it. Yum, yum, yum. I receive, I receive, I receive. They're not there trying to earn it, are they? They're not sort of going, well, I'm going to do a delightful gurgle and then my mum may give me some milk. They're not trying to achieve it. They just receive. And for each of us, the right response to Jesus is say, Jesus, I receive your gift of being part of your kingdom. I receive it like a little child. You see, God wants each one of us to be in a relationship with him. He really does. But the important thing to note is that he has to enable it to happen. It is all down to God. It's not down to us. And however much or however little we think that our lives are worth, God thinks that we are precious enough to send his son, the Lord Jesus, to this earth to die on a cross. Jesus dying to pay the price of our sin. And it may be there are some people here tonight. And actually you haven't yet received this offer of Jesus' kingdom. You haven't received this offer of eternal life. And I want to encourage you today. Would you receive that gift that Jesus offers you? Not because receiving it demonstrates that you're good. Actually, quite the opposite. 
Receiving it demonstrates you recognize that you are not fully good. And you recognize that you need the only one who is truly good, God alone, Jesus Christ. You need him to pay the punishment for all your badness that we all have as Jesus died on the cross. But you know, here's the wonderful thing. Receiving the kingdom of God accepting that offer of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus, it is also the second thing that is needed in terms of how to be good. And here's why. Because when you receive the kingdom of God, you also receive the Holy Spirit. Take Peter, Peter uh, preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is what uh, he, he says. At the end of his sermon, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who every follower of Jesus receives, he helps us to be more like Jesus. So think of what Paul wrote to the Galatians in his letter to Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit, the the outworking of the Holy Spirit working in your life, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is a pretty good definition of what being good looks like, isn't it? Indeed, one of the characteristics there is goodness itself. So if you or I, if we're thinking how to be good, first step, recognize you can never be good enough. Second step, receive the kingdom of God. And then third step, remove any barriers to goodness. Love you to have a look at how the disciple Peter responds to this interaction that he's been observing between the rich young man and Jesus. Look at what Peter says. It's in verse 28. This is what Peter says. Then Peter spoke up and he says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus replies, he says, truly I tell you, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. See there, Jesus recognizes that we will all, every one of us, we will all have to leave things as followers of his. If we want to be good, there are things that we need to leave. There are things that we need to remove from our lives. And sometimes that means removing things that are obviously bad from our lives, you know, removing stealing or or lying or whatever it might be. But sometimes it means removing things that are perfectly good in themselves but that are not good if they're taking the place of God as money was for this rich young man. And sometimes those verses show us that removing these things, they can even cause a rift in our family as we put Jesus before members of our family. And Jesus' encouragement to every one of us here is that as we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we remove these things that are barriers to our goodness and our walk with him, as as we remove these things, as we leave them behind, what does Jesus do? Jesus gives us back far more, he says. 
He gives us back far more, both in the, in the present age and in the age to come, eternal life. And let's be clear, this is goodness as defined by Jesus. It's not goodness as defined by society, but goodness as defined by Jesus. And that is why Jesus says that what we might receive in this life may also include, as well as all those other things, it may include persecutions. So, you know, I think of William Wilberforce. One of his barriers to goodness was apathy. You know, apathy for the plight of those under the tyranny of slavery. So what did Wilberforce do? He removed that apathy for the well-being of other humans. And instead, he passionately worked for the freedom of the slaves, which was so against the culture at the time, the society at the time. And because of that, would he face so much opposition, so much persecution over so many years? Or I think of someone who was on our, our dating panel two weeks ago when we had that talk on how to date well. And we had a, a panel of people afterwards. And one of the people on that panel... She is staying single and celibate in her early 50s. She has removed the barrier to goodness of sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And as a result of removing that, as a result of of staying celibate, she says that at times she is marginalized, she's misunderstood, she is mocked for her choice to remain single and celibate. You see, for all of us, it'll be all sorts of different things, a whole range of different things, but there will be for all of us things that we know we need to remove, that we need to leave, we need to give up these these barriers to our goodness as we look to live wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ. And then finally, and I wonder actually this fourth sort of point in this four-step plan of how to be good, if you like, I wonder if this actually may be the most important thing for many of us here tonight. Fourth thing's this, refuse to compare your goodness with others. You know, we might be told to go compare by the opera-singing mustachioed man when it comes to car insurance, but Jesus says don't compare. He says, do not compare when it comes to our goodness. Because comparing our goodness with other people's goodness will inevitably either puff us up or it will pull us down. See, the truth is that Jesus can see that Peter is in danger of drifting into exactly the same thinking as the rich young man, thinking he's better, he's more special, he's more good than everyone else. So he and the disciples, they need a reward. And so Jesus challenges that right at the end, the last verse, verse 31. Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and the last first. So for those here who are, if you like, like Peter, if you perhaps scored at the start, you scored yourself seven, eight, nine, or 10 for goodness, if you think you're first, if your status, if your identity is built on your goodness, it will always be excluding of others. Because if we are honest, we're not really proud of being good. We're proud of being more good than those other people over there. We're not really proud of being kind. 
We're proud of being more kind than those other people over there. You see, comparing it just puffs us up and it excludes others. And then for those here who, who scored, not seven, eight, nine, ten, but who scored one, two, three, four, if perhaps you're ashamed of, of not being good, if you think you're lost, if your status, if your identity, if it's built on your badness, well, again, it is always excluding, this time excluding of yourself. Because if we're honest, we're not really ashamed of being bad. We're ashamed of being more bad than the people over there. We're ashamed of being more unkind than the people over there. And that comparing for us, well, it just pulls us down. We exclude ourselves. Any sense of identity, we have a sense of identity that is all about being achieved by what we do rather than being received. That sense of identity, if it's achieved, it has to be excluding because it always involves comparison with others. Now, the identity that we all need, however we scored ourselves, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, however you scored yourself, the identity we all need, we need a received identity. We need an identity that is based on the fact that God loves you because he loves you and he's proved it at the cross. And that received identity, having a received identity, that actually helps us to be more and more good because it helps us to live a life of including others rather than excluding them. So there you go. There you have a, a four-point plan from our Bible passage on how to be good. Number one, recognize you can be, never be good enough through your own achievements. Instead, receive the kingdom of God then remove any barriers to goodness as you go through life, empowered by God's Spirit. And fourth, refuse to compare your goodness to that of others. But as I close, I, I want to point out a key little phrase in our passage that I haven't mentioned yet. I haven't referred to this bit yet. If you can just picture in your mind, again, this, this interaction between the rich young man and Jesus. And the rich young man, there he is, he is giving layer upon layer upon layer of sort of good deeds as his evidence to Jesus of how good he is. And Jesus is about to say to him, young man, you've got totally the wrong end of the stick. You can never be good enough. Try giving away all your money. That'll show you you've got it all wrong. You can't have an achieved identity. It doesn't work. And look at what our passage says at the start of verse 21. It says that Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at the rich young man. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. And Jesus Christ, he does that to each one of you too. However much or however little you gave yourself a score for goodness, Jesus Christ, he looks at you and he loves you. Take my mum. Uh, my mum has 
has always been a good little girl. She's 71 now, uh, but she has always been a good little girl. As a child, as an adult, as my mum, she was always known to be good, always good. And she says, as she grew up, it got more and more exhausting, trying to keep up this impression of goodness as she got older. And there came a time for my mum when I was uh, age eight or nine, when mum came to faith in Jesus. And the key moment for her in coming to faith in Jesus was when she went to uh, this church service. Uh, And the preacher was preaching, and at the end of the talk, he called people to the front who wanted to receive Jesus into their life. And as my mum, as she walked to the front of the church that day at the end of the talk, she describes it as, as feeling like as she walked It felt like she was sort of an onion and the layers were being peeled off her. As she walked forwards, she just felt layers and layers and layers of trying to achieve goodness just being pulled off her. All her efforts to be good, all the exhaustion of keeping up appearances, they were being peeled off by Jesus so that just the person, my mum, remained. And as that happened, mum says that it felt to her like Jesus was saying to her, that is the person who I love. You, not with any extra layers added on, all the layers taken off, that is the person I love, you. You see, just like for that rich young man, mum felt Jesus looked at her and loved her. And in the weeks and sort of months after that day, that key day in her life, as mum reflected on what had happened that day as she received Jesus as her Lord, mum realized how in many ways it had been a bit like in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia story, where, where the boy Eustace, you may remember the story, Eustace has been so bad And as a result of Eustace being so bad, he gets layers and layers and layers of skin going around him. And Eustace, in all his badness, in all his horridness, he has layer upon layer upon skin so that he turns not into an onion, but he turns into a dragon. The boy Eustace has disappeared due to his badness and his nastiness. And then one day in the story, I think it's the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Eustace, as a dragon now, with all this skin on him, Eustace the dragon meets with Aslan the lion, who represents Jesus. And what happens is Aslan, Aslan with one swipe of his lion's claw, Aslan rips away all the dragon's skin so that the boy Eustace emerges once again. And mum realized that it had been exactly the same for her as for Eustace in the story, just with layers of goodness rather than layers of badness. And you see, for every single one of us here, whatever layers are around us, whatever layers of badness or layers of goodness that you have achieved or you failed to achieve, whatever is wrapped around yourself, today Jesus Christ, he comes to you and he peels off those layers and he looks at you 
and he loves you. And very simply, I pray that you will receive Jesus' love for you today. We stand. Amen.